John 7, verses 1 through 13. As I said earlier, you're going to see the theme of time and timing take center stage in these verses. So follow with me as I read from God's Word again. After this, Jesus went about in Galilee. He would not go about in Judea because the Jews were seeking to kill him. Now the Jews' feast of booths was at hand. So his brothers said to him, Leave here and go to Judea that your disciples also may see the works you are doing. For no one works in secret if he seeks to be known openly. If you do these things, show yourself to the world. For not even his brothers believed in him. Jesus said to them, My time has not yet come, but your time is always here. The world cannot hate you, but it hates me because I testify about it that its works are evil. You go up to the feast. I'm not going up to this feast, for my time has not yet come fully. Not yet fully come. After saying this, he remained in Galilee. But after his brothers had gone up to the feast, then he also went up, not publicly, but in private. The Jews were looking for him at the feast and saying, Where is he? And there was much muttering about him among the people. While some said, He is a good man. Others said, No, he is leading the people astray. Yet, for fear of the Jews, no one spoke openly of him. Pray with me again. Father, this issue of timing strikes all of us. For all of us have had to wait. And Lord, I really believe that every believer in here has had that moment where they wonder how long, oh Lord. So Father, speak to us this morning. But more than that, give us ears to hear you. We recognize your word is truth. You speak in, through, and by your word. So Lord, incline our hearts to hear your message this morning. We pray this through Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen. It's been said that timing is everything. Timing is crucial. Good timing can mean the difference between life and death. Literally, whenever an accident occurs, the speed with which one receives medical treatment is crucial. Timing is everything. Timing makes a difference in issues of business. Success or failure can depend upon the timing with which a business is launched, a product released. Timing is everything. Timing can be the difference between victory and defeat. The timing of a snowstorm that came was the difference between victory for Hitler and Russia and his defeat as he had to withdraw as the weather turned bad. Timing. Timing is everything. Ecclesiastes 3 says there is a time for every event under the sun. There's an appointed time. It says there's a time to hug, a time to refrain from hugging. There's a time to weep and a time to laugh. A time to live and a time to die. But our challenge is this. How do we discern what the right timing is? How do we know when it's God's timing to proceed in something or it's just simply our intuition or our desires that we're projecting upon an event? John 7, 1 through 13 helps us to deal with this issue. These verses help us to sort through the difference between our timing and God's timing. 
about what we think ought to happen and when it should happen and what God determines to happen and when it happens. And I want us to see that this verse is going, these verses will challenge us to think about trusting God or trusting our own intuition. Now verse 1 sets the stage. Jesus is still ministering in Galilee. It's believed he spent a year ministering in the northern part of Israel. And the verse tells us why. Very pragmatic. The Jews wanted to kill him around Jerusalem. And Jesus is very aware of timing. Very aware of his mission and how those two things come together. That's why the crisis is presented in verse 2. The Jews' Feast of Booth was at hand. Now this festival, the Festival of Booths or Tabernacles, takes center stage in chapters 7 and chapters 8. This was a huge festival. I want you to think in terms of Independence Day celebrations. The Feast of Booths was a large party. Everybody that could make their way to Jerusalem for the eight days of the Feast of Booths would. And while they were there, they would camp out. The people that lived in Jerusalem would build lean-tos on top of their homes and they would sleep in those tents. If there were Winnebago's at that time, they would have surrounded the city of Jerusalem as far as the eye could see. And the reason they camped out was this, to remember the Exodus. The idea was as they laid underneath the stars, grandparents would talk to their grandkids and they would say, you see those stars up there? Your forefathers looked at that same night sky as they were in the wilderness. And the feast would culminate with two events. It would culminate on the eighth day with priests that would parade through the city carrying a huge goblet of water and would pour it out remembering how God gave water from a rock. And then it would culminate in a celebration of lights as to how God, 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 God guided them out of the slavery of Egypt into the promised land. This is a huge event. So his brothers come to him. Now these are his half-brothers, children born to Mary and Joseph later in life. And his brothers have a suggestion. Jesus, why don't you and your disciples go to Jerusalem? There's going to be a huge crowd there. And you can do your works there. And that will be the start of your ministry as the Messiah. This is a brilliant PR move on the hands of the, the brothers. I mean, after all, if you're the Messiah, Jerusalem's where you need to be. That's logical. Think about it. If you want to act on stage and you want to achieve fame on stage, where do you need to go? New York, Broadway. Start spreading the news. If you want to be an actor in the movies, where do you go? Come on, it's not a trick question. Hollywood. All right, now this one, surely you'll get this. If you want to be a country music star, Nashville, yeehaw! That's logical, isn't it? Well, if you're the Messiah and you want to get a crowd, Jesus, you need to be in Jerusalem. Especially now, there are going to be hundreds of thousands of people there, Jesus, so you need to go. And Jesus says unequivocally, no. <laughs> they had to be scratching their heads. Jesus says in verse 6, my time has not yet come, but your time is always here. Now it's very interesting. In fact, many say Jesus was being duplicitous here. Because look, he says, no, I'm not going. Verse 9, he remained in Galilee. And then you get to verse 10. 
after his brothers had gone up to the feast, then he also went up, not publicly, but in private. Some skeptics look at this and say, Jesus is not being very forthright here. I mean, he tells the brothers he's not going, and then he goes. What's going on here? Well, I hope to answer some of these questions this morning as we think about this issue of time. And it's important to recognize that in the New Testament, there are three different words for time. The language is often more precise than our English language. So when they start thinking in terms of time, the first word is chronos, which is general time. That's the kind of time like, I'll get around to it. Well, when are you going to do it? Maybe next month, maybe next year. It's a time frame, but it's very vague. At some point, I'll get around to it. That's chronos time. That's the time you're going to paint the house. I'll get around to it eventually. The next level of time is a bit more specific. It's kairos. That's a specific time, or more to the point, an appointed time. That's where you get down and you nail things down. Well, I'm going to paint the house next week. When are you going to do this? Probably July 5th. And even more specific is the next word, hour. Now used in the Gospels, the word hour usually is accompanied by a definite article. The hour or this hour. Jesus used it to refer to his death on the cross. That's why in John 12, Jesus says, What shall I say, Father? Save me from this hour? Referring to his death. Now in John chapter 7, Jesus uses the word kairos. He's talking about an appointed time. He's talking about the appointed time where he will launch his ministry publicly in Jerusalem. And he basically says, brothers, this isn't God's appointed time for me to do this. When you look at verse 6, Jesus says, my time, in other words, my appointed time has not yet come. The appointed time for me to launch my ministry publicly is not here. He says to them that your time is always here. In other words, your appointed time is always here. Why? You're not seeking God's time. That's why he says in verse 7, The world cannot hate you, but it hates me because I testify about it that its works are evil. In other words, the brothers are not seeking God's appointed time for things. They're seeking their time, their way, following their intuition. Therefore, he says the world will applaud you. The world says you want to do it, go ahead. Because the world has no concern for God's appointed time but notice it's not just about God's appointed time it's God's appointed method so Jesus isn't being duplicitous he's simply saying to the brothers it's not my time to launch a ministry publicly you go but when he goes later in verse 10 he is following God's timing for him to go but notice and it's very important in verse 10 he goes not publicly but in private so he's saying to the brothers, your PR plan is not God's plan. Your plan to launch my ministry with a parade is not God's timing. I'll go, but I'm going to go privately. You are not calling the shots, God is. The brothers were approaching this like you and I often do. Intuition. Factors are right. This is the moment. But notice in verse 5, they didn't believe him. There's a skepticism behind that. 
Jesus, we're going to call the shots, and if you're really the Messiah, you prove it. You understand that what you hear in this passage are echoes of Satan's temptation in the wilderness. If you're really the Son of God, turn stones into bread and prove it. Here are the brothers. If you're the Messiah, go to Jerusalem, watch your ministry, and prove it. And Jesus will never follow the dictates of man or Satan. He will be obedient to God. That's why Jesus says no. I will do my ministry in God's way, in God's timing. He trusts God. He doesn't rely upon what he thinks will be right. He trusts the Father because God's timing is always perfect. Galatians 4 is an example of this. But when the fullness of time, and that's the word kairos, at the right moment, God sent forth his son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem us. To redeem those under the law so that we might receive adoption as sons. Now, thinking logically, we would look at history and say, Man, if Jesus had been born 400 years earlier, He could have stopped the Maccabean War and brought peace to Israel and things would have been so much better. Why in the world did God wait till this moment in time for Jesus to be born? Well, looking historically, you can see three reasons why God's timing was perfect. The perfect time... For Jesus to be born is the exact timing he was born. Why? First, there was what's called the Pax Romana, the peace of Rome. The empire was at peace, no wars. Peaceful time. Second, you know how that peace was brought about? It was brought about by the armies of Rome. Rome was ingenious. Rome created roads to get their army from point A to point B. So guess what? You have peace. You have roads that make travel easier. And if you're sending out a message via people who have to travel, roads make it great. And finally, there was one common language. There were many languages. The New Testament, Jesus spoke Aramaic. New Testament written in Koinine Greek because that was the common language of the day. Peace. Roads, common language, the timing was perfect. That's God's timing. Always perfect to bring about His plan of redemption. Now here's our challenge. I know that most every believer would agree with the words that I've just spoken. God's timing is perfect. Can I get a witness? The challenge is how do we know it? How do we know what God's timing is? How do we handle it when we trust His timing, but we don't see it coming together? What do we do when, you're waiting, when you and I are waiting on God for something that we have no control over? Praying for healing. Waiting to hear a response from a job interview. Waiting for news from a relationship. Waiting for salvation. How do we do that? How do we, we learn to be in those gaps where we are waiting, waiting for God's perfect timing, where we say, I don't want to fall into my intuition. I don't understand what God's doing. How in the world do we do this? Well, I wish I could say that this passage is a how-to guide on waiting. Like this was some knowing God's timing for dummies book. I would buy that. There's no formula. It's relationship. If we want to understand God's timing, we must follow the example of Jesus and be in a relationship with God. See, when you're in a relationship with somebody and it's a, a close relationship, you begin to understand the issues of timing. My wife and I have been married for, for some years. 
I'm so sorry. I can't remember right now. I love you, Jody. We've been married long enough that I know that if there's something I want to do, but I'm not sure how she'll feel about it, I've learned long enough to know when to wait for the right timing. Husbands are smiling all over the congregation. You know. You learn it as a child. When's the right time to ask dad to borrow some money? It's not when he's tired and just gotten home from work. It's when he's in a good mood and you've just finished doing your chores to hit him up for an extra $10. It's timing. How do you know that timing? Relationship. As you walk with somebody, you come to know them. How do we walk with God? It's no secret. Being in the Word. Prayer. Fasting. Fellowship with one another. That's how we come to be in relationship with God. And the Spirit is working within us so that we know when is the right time to act. But the question still remains. How do we handle it when it's not the right time? And we're still waiting. Waiting is hard. None of us get excited about waiting. I've never met the person that goes to the doctor thinking, I hope I get to wait an extra hour today. You ever get excited about waiting in a traffic jam? Woo! Thank you, Lord. 30 minutes on the road. <laughs> oh, waiting is hard. You and I as believers will face moments where we're thinking, okay, now, now would be great, God. And God says, it's not my timing. You have to wait. When you look in the scripture, you'll see there's a pattern of waiting. Noah was told to build the ark. He begins building it, but he has to wait a hundred years before it's finished and before rain comes. Joseph. Jo Joseph is a godly man sold into slavery. Well, let me step a moment back. Let's just be honest. Joseph was a jerk to his brothers, and he's sold into slavery. He's in Potiphar's house, and God's working a change in his life because he's been humbled, and he's a man of purity and character. And the wife of his boss comes on to him. She hits on him. And Joseph says no. And then she frames him. And he's put in prison for doing the right thing. Don't you think Joseph prayed, Lord, how long am I going to be in jail? Eleven years. Waiting. Moses. Moses is 40 years as a prince in Egypt. Finds out his heritage. One day he sees a, an Egyptian mistreating an Israelite and Moses commits murder. Isn't that shocking to hear? Moses is a murderer. He flees to Midian for 40 years waiting. Waiting. Go home and do a search in your Bible through the Psalms. How often does the psalmist pray, how long, O Lord? Waiting. Waiting is not easy. Just being very honest with you, and I would never lie to you. I always get nervous when a pastor says, now to be honest with you, because does that mean everything I've said before? Anyway, these are verses that I've looked at and I've struggled with. Even youth shall faint and be weary, and young men shall fall exhausted. But they who wait for the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings like eagles. They shall run and not be weary. They shall walk and not faint. 
Wait for the Lord. Renew their strength. Have you ever looked at a passage and you said, Lord, this, this is true, but I don't, I'm struggling living this. I figured it up at one point earlier in the year, and since my daughter Emma became ill on November 16th of 2016, we spent 409 days in the hospital. 409 days. Waiting's exhausting. And I'm not telling you anything you don't know. You felt that weariness. And so I prayed, Lord, what does this look like? What does this look like? And I think this is what the Lord is teaching me. That strength is connected to hope. It's not that you won't be physically tired, emotionally exhausted. There are times you will be. That's living... That's living as a human being. But there will be strength each day to get up and to act and to pray. Why? This is what I think the Lord's teaching me. Strength is connected to hope. If I am waiting for the Lord, I have hope that God is doing something. God is at work. God doesn't owe me an explanation as to why he's doing things. He's God. But my hope and my belief is that God is at work in my circumstance and brother and sister in your circumstance. So because I know that God is at work, I have hope. And that hope renews my strength each day that I refuse to give in to despair. I refuse to give in to anger. And I refuse to lose hope. Because where God is, there is always hope. So strength is renewed. Reading about the accounts of prisoners of wars, those who, who served time in internment camps and yet survived, they said the one difference was this. It was hope. Those who had hope faced each day with a sense of discipline and courage that caused them to put one foot in front of the other. Those who gave up hope of ever being rescued gave up, quit living, and soon died. Believers, we have a hope within us that is springing forth eternal. And it is the hope that God will accomplish His work in His way, in His timing. So our strength is renewed because God is always at work. Church, we need to remember these things. We need to share them with one another. You know why we don't? It's because of what happens in verse 13, fear. Jesus goes on into Jerusalem and the, the public opinions divided on him. Some are saying, look, he's the Messiah. He's doing good things. But others were saying, no, no, no. He's leading the people astray. Jesus is a dividing line. But I draw your attention to verse 13. Yet for fear of the Jews, no one spoke openly of him. It is fear that keeps us from speaking openly of our hope. It is fear that keeps us from speaking openly of our struggles. How many burdens do we carry by ourselves because we are afraid of what others will think? I don't want them to think that I'm weak. Really? So we'd rather live a lie than admit that we need the help of God. It's time to put down the pretense because every one of us in here are weak. 
every one of us. You know what the scripture says? When I am weak, then he is strong. If I want to know the strength of God, I will admit my weakness and I will say, Lord, waiting is hard, but I believe your word. Lord, that those who wait upon you, even if they faint, they will have renewed strength. Don't let the fear of man rob you of the faith that God will give to strengthen you through your difficult times. Fear will keep us quiet. That's where as we speak and open our lives to one another, we need to point people toward the hope of the gospel. You see, when that fear begins to rise in our minds when we're waiting, we need to take it captive to the gospel. One of the verses that I have gone to time and time again in this long journey has been Isaiah 26, 2. God's promises, I will keep him in perfect peace whose mind is stayed on me. So this is what Mark Herod does. When I start to give in to worry, when I start to fall into, okay, this shouldn't have been, we should be doing this, I stop for a moment and I say, Lord, let my focus be upon you. Let me think upon you. And sometimes we need those people to come alongside us to remind us of who God is. And that's where as we open our lives to one another and share, this is a struggle, this is a fear, this is a worry, that we will find other believers saying, look to God, look to Him. Remember who He is. And take courage. God's timing is perfect. Jesus says it's not the right time for Him to reveal His Messiahship to the world. That will come later. In fact, John will devote the largest portion of his gospel to that. But right now, Jesus is saying, trust God's timing. Will you? I want to ask you to bow your heads with me right now.